Welcome to episode 67 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I'm Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times, here with Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Hoops Report. And we are into the middle of December here. We're going to start off this episode with your questions, then our two takes, and then we're going to talk about the kids. A lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores that we've seen over the last month and, I guess, full first month of the season here, Joe. Yeah, like uh, a lot of questions, and then um, you know the the young kids is interesting always because you never you don't know what to expect each high school basketball season with the young kids, and we're going to get into some of those freshmen particularly that have made a I think pretty big impact, and we'll get into some specifics of those a little bit later. Yeah, because frankly, we're getting kind of depressed by the older classes, so <laughs> let's, go, let's just skip over it for a, a show. All right, let's start out with these questions. The first one is from Aaron Britton. He is a gym rat. See him all over the place. Um, and this was a good question because I had not even kind of realized it. I had to text Joe and ask what was up. Um, he wants to know if there's any news on the City Suburban Showdown. That is the annual, you know, pretty much for the past 20 years, it's been the biggest or the second biggest game of the year. You know, yeah, a lot that... of big memories of that one. The history of it, too. I mean, you go back. I go back all the way to 1998, that Corey Maggette, Quentin Richardson matchup at Welsh Ryan Arena, which is still probably the best high school game I've seen during the regular season since I've been doing this. Also, the most hyped one. Um, we saw, you know, Odin come in to play John Shire the one year. So they, it's been a staple. It's been, like you said, Mike, arguably consistently the best event. And unfortunately, it's. I think the 20-year run is over. Yeah, so many great ones. You know, the Derrick Rose against Evan Turner, the Derrick Rose ain't bleep <laughs> from Evan Turner, right. although the Brunson-Simeon kind of matchups recently we had. Yeah, th- it's a real shame. I, uh, You know, it just, that NCAA rule where they couldn't hold it anymore, you know, independent promoters, people not affiliated with high schools are no longer allowed to hold events at Division One facilities. And that really, you know, they've been searching for a home once they lost the Welsh Ryan thing. And it, it's just been, I know it's been a real struggle for the organizers ever since then. Right. Um, next up, let's see. This is from Bones McKinsey at Yahoo.com. We have no real name, but he says, Mike, last no shot clock. You seemed uber confident in Romeoville as a top five, while Joe seemed to pick the brook. Is it possible that Romeoville is as good as you thought? And maybe you underestimated the Raiders. I was discussing with another fan Wednesday night, and we agreed that this team may be better than last year's version. Yeah, the latter part of that question, Mike, that is a, to me, it's a pretty resounding no. I, this, is not a, this is not as good a Bolingbrook team as last year. But that's also, you know, doesn't mean that this Bolingbrook team can't match what they did last year. Uh, and that being get to Peoria, bring home a trophy. They're good enough. They're talented enough in this landscape of high school basketball to do that. But you take Nana Atkinson, uh, Malik Benz away from that team. I mean, it's it's not the same team. Yeah, I 100% agree. It, um, I mean, Bolingbrook, I hadn't seen them, you know, before the game. They were pretty much what I thought they were, and – Definitely not as good as last year. And yeah, I was super confident in Romeoville as a top five, very much based on resume. They'd beaten Joliet Central. They'd beaten Hillcrest. Bolingbrook did not have a top five resume heading into that game. They hadn't really beaten anybody um, 
of consequence at all in the area. Had a pretty slim resume. The game was, you might as well talk about that a little bit, you know, a really fun first quarter. The first quarter was, was good. It was sloppy, but it was good. And then after that, it was not good. I just think it was a, you know, I go back to that last podcast when Tyler Cochran's injury, was he going to play? And I just, a healthy Cochran with Joseph Yusufu, I just believed two best players in the court were still on Bolingbrook's side. And I, I think that, I mean, Cochran stole the show that night. And I think it was a classic case of Bolingbrook has been there and done that and, and been in involved in a lot of high-stakes games with some pressure of being undefeated last year for a while, getting to Peoria, things like that. And Romeoville just kind of getting acclimated to this new role that they're, that they're in. Yeah, Romeoville, every time they started to get some momentum would do something dumb to kind of kill their own momentum, <laughs> which, you know, and hopefully they'll learn and get over that. I guess one thing that I did realize about Bolingbrook, they're deeper than I thought. They had a couple of transfers I didn't know about. Um, you know, the Plainfield South kid who gave him some nice size that's really going to help them. They didn't use him in the second half so much, but he was a big factor in the first half there. You know, I don't agree that Yusufu and Cochran were the two best. I thought Yusufu played a bad game. Actually. No, no, I'm, I just meant that they're the two best players Over. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Creel is right there with Yusufu right mm-hmm. now. Um Yusufu's yeah, been playing. I mean, he's been playing great. That was our first. But, I mean, you're, you're right. He did not have a great game in that matchup with Romeoville. Yeah, but, no, he had been. And, you know, that's the other thing. I had high expectations because I'd heard he'd been playing really great in the season. But, yeah, he did not. And you know, that says something, though, that he didn't play very well and they won. Um, Bolingbrook did lose uh, over the weekend. I didn't get it in the notebook because I didn't see the score. But they lost on Saturday to a... Uh, I guess a pretty good undefeated team from Iowa City. That sounds weird to say, <laughs> but um, all right. Let's see. Next up, uh, this is from R. A lot, a lot of people aren't telling us who they are anymore. I don't know if should we have a policy on that, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> just give us the question. Seems a little strange. I'm good. All right. Last week you discussed the Derrick Rose recruiting saga. This week, could you guys delve into Patrick Beverly's recruitment? I always wondered if he would have made it to the NBA if he stuck with Toledo. Well, I just remember St. John's being heavily involved. You know, Beverly was not recruited at the level that I, I know for a fact Mike loved him. I know that I love he was just and I might be putting words in your mouth, one of our most, both of us, one of our favorite players that we watched over, you know, for me over two decades. But, you know, I, and, and the question of what he made the NBA, I, the one thing that's been lost about Patrick Beverly, this is a big-time success story. He did not go straight from Arkansas where he left because uh, he, he had some academic issues or got caught turning in a paper, cheating on a paper or something. But, uh he didn't go straight to the NBA. I mean, he he put his time in overseas in the Euro, in in European leagues, uh, and made himself because that's where he became an NBA player. He spent four, I think, five years playing overseas, and he went from a undersized two guard chucker to molding himself into more of a point guard that could play in the NBA and. You combine that with what we all loved about him, which is he played harder than everybody, he was tougher than everybody, and he competed at the extreme level uh, of competitiveness. And that's what really propelled him into the NBA. It really wasn't much to do with his college experience. It was five years of toiling in 
um, overseas. Yeah, I'm uh, doing my best. My memory is not the greatest. I remember Patrick Beverly did the hat fake out at his announcement. Um, but now I'm confused about where he – I think he picked up the Michigan hat and then he committed to where? Toledo? And then changed to Arkansas? Was that the way it went? I, I do not remember. I don't either. Um, I mean, that's yeah, how sure. many announcements we gone through here. And uh, I didn't bother to Google or try to reminisce over the Beverly. I, I, feel like he picked, for yeah, I feel like he picked Arkansas that day. Like he, he grabbed the Michigan hat and then put it down and then picked Arkansas. I know that. Yeah, I'd be hard. hard. <laughs> Pressed to have an Arkansas, Michigan, and Toledo hat. Yeah, and then I think you wound up the Arkansas <laughs> thing. I know it had a lot to do with Lamont Bryant, the um, the Marshall coach at the time. So if you want to talk about the saga, I think that's a saga where uh, you know not a lot of people were around Beverly. I, I guess kind of. Oh, you. Some people will like this tidbit. Some won't. I remember Bruce Weber showing up at the Marshall gym. This is when. Beverly was getting starting to really become that guy in the city that was going to be the breakout senior star. And I remember he came, he watched Beverly. I think he might have even talked to Beverly and his mom and left, but he didn't talk to Lamont Bryant. And Lamont Bryant was furious. He just thought it was, he referred to me, he, I guess, told me it was like if someone came into my living room, sat down, stayed for an hour and a half, and then got up and left and never introduced himself to me. Um, he was not happy, and Lamont Bryant was very influential in that recruitment. And you know, he was tight with the people at Arkansas at the time. I think that's kind of why the Arkansas commitment happened, um, either then or eventually. But there's my uh, Patrick Beverly recruitment tidbit. Quite a player, though, man. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, let's see. Next up, Matt Adolfson. This is a new. Uh, New question asker, Willowbrook, ah, sorry, Willowbrook cruised over Hinsdale South with Ethan Schumer putting up a triple-double. Even at 6-6, he has as good of skills down low as anyone. How will he match up with Ryan Davis when they face off later this year? Also, about time to get Willowbrook ranked again. Only lost at the buzzer in overtime, Proviso East. And then he also has a question, what's up with Roy Schmidt? The guy always seems like he's screaming, get off my lawn. <laughs> so, where to begin with this one? Um, um, let's see, Ethan well, Schumer. Brooks, yeah. Willowbrook's good. I mean, I, they're good because they are that team. And I don't want to undersell them by saying that they have this chemistry and uh, you know, they're better than the pieces. I, they they are good and experienced, and they played together. They won a lot of games last year against a somewhat softer schedule. They've beefed up the schedule a little bit this year, and they're ready to kind of take that next step. And Schumer's legit. I mean, he is a he's crafty around the basket, good footwork, use both hands, can step away from the basket, knock a shot down. You know, he's compared to Ryan Davis. You're talking six eight and a half, Davis six nine maybe, um, Schumer's six five and a half six six. So you know, talking three different inches, but they do have as far as a skill set, a little bit of the same skill set. Schumer can put on the floor a little better than, than Ryan Davis. Uh, they're both all area caliber players, potential all state type of players. And it would be a great matchup. Yeah. I, uh, he's right. Willowbrook, you know, they've I've got my sheet sitting next to me as we speak. I'll be doing the rankings after the podcast. 
Um, well, I guess after I find out who wins the Or Proviso East game later uh, today, we're recording on Sunday. But yeah, Willowbrook's got a great chance to get back in. They got what they needed. That Hinsdale South win is, you know, a quality win because the sched- their schedule had been pretty thin up until that point. So that's going to help an-, an awful lot. And the Proviso East loss was in overtime. Um, they didn't have Quinlan Bennett, though, so that doesn't help. Um, I'm going to save my... Uh, one of my takes is about Ryan Davis. I saw him yesterday, so I'm going to save my Ryan Davis stuff. But as far as Roy Schmidt, might as well address it a little bit. I know I'm blocked from um, seeing him on Twitter, but people send me stuff. I guess he's always on my case and Joe's case. Um, little backstory there. Roy and Harv Schmidt, the Illinois Prip Bullseye, they used to do a, a blog. Longtime readers will know on the Your Season site, the Sometimes Prep site. Because of various reasons, uh, we had to let them go. Um and they weren't able to do the blog on the site anymore. And since then they've been pretty angry about that. So it's been a long time now. And the, the fires of hate still burn strong in the Schmitz. uh, (laughs) And I, I can't begin to talk about the several beefs. I have, I have no idea why they have beefs with anyone. (laughs) Next up. um, This question is from Mike. He says, uh, crane and Farragut are both former powerhouse programs that have fallen on hard times. Do you see any scenario in which either program can get back to being serious contenders? Which program, in your opinion, has the brighter future? Have you had a chance to see Highland Harris in person? I saw him play for Crane last week, and he was very impressive. Well, I mean, the the, the Farragut thing is just uh, that's that's the one. It's you know, Wolf and Nelson's been there forever, and you know he he is in it for those kids and does a lot for Farragut in, in, in terms of, you know, looking out for them and, and, but Farragut has changed a lot over how long has Wolf been there? 25 years probably. I mean, before okay, yeah. Garnett and field. So, uh, that's just a play. Well, actually both places have changed so much. Um, yeah. Farragut is basically Juarez. It's a Hispanic school. Now it's changed. It's, it's the guys Wolf brings in, and then it's, you know, a lot of people that aren't basketball players. And, you know, that's been part of the problem. The whole program is on the varsity team. You know, it's kind of a mess. He doesn't have a freshman and a sophomore team. They're all there. But, however, he's got the pieces in place. You know, this year they were ranked in the preseason. I didn't know that Forrest had his uh, MCL. So that was their rebounder, and they really struggled without him. That was their only guy. If I'm not, I have not heard a timeline. If they get him back by March, they will be a factor in 3A for sure. Especially once Reggie Strong gets a little bit more of the sophomore guard under his belt. So Farragut's on the, you know, just outside the Super 25. They're a team to watch, and as long as Wolf is there, he's going to keep finding some players and keeping them around. Crane has just completely, quickly shrunk. There's like 300 kids in that big school right now. Um, is it not? Wasn't it planned to shut down? At some point? I don't think so. No? It just it changed totally. It's like a medical prep school now. Um, but I haven't seen it on a closing list yet. You know, it's such a big building there. I don't know what their the plan is, really. And no, I have not seen Highland Harris in person. I have been following his numbers. Crane is very good about sending their stuff. Highland Harris himself is very good about making sure I'm well aware of what he is doing and asking me to come out. And I live... I could walk to Crane in 15 minutes, so I'm going to try and get over there and take a look at him. It's very, you know, Mike, thanks for letting us know that you thought Highland Harris was impressive. I wouldn't mind some more emails like this in our 
um, questions for the podcast because, you know, it's really hard to get around and see everybody. We asked about Westmont last week. Didn't hear anything about that. But, yeah, that actually intrigues me that someone actually went and saw Harris play and thought he was well, he was pretty good because he is putting up numbers. So um, I'll try to get back to you on that one. Let's see. Next up here, Patrick Devitt. Longtime question asker. First, what are the odds that the CPS can sweep the four classes down in Peoria? 1A seems like the lowest odds with possibly Douglas or John Hope. Yes, that is extremely unlikely. 2A has Orr, Uplift, Collins, etc. 3A has Bogan, Morgan Park, Farragut, etc. And finally, 4A has Kenwood, Simeon, Young, Curie. I would, to sweep all four, I'd, the odds are slim. To sweep the other, the, the three biggest, I think it's... Should I use the word likely? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I, Simeon to me is clearly the best team in 4A right now. Well, I, I, I say that without you haven't seen Belleville West because I know they're really good. I saw them in the summer, and I think they will be a threat, threat no matter what. Uh, 3A, you know, I, I think people are kind of cashing their chips in already on Morgan Park, which I think is foolish. Some people, uh, just because of the record and losing some games and things like that. They, and then two A, I mean, or yeah, I mean, all those three, and I'm not ruling out Young either in four A. So it, it is. I don't want to say it likely because it's high school basketball, but it's it's a good percent, high percentage that the public league. I mean, geez, they they won two. Um, Wait, they won all three last year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like it's a anomaly. It's 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 there, and a lot of people don't like it. Um, agree with all of that. And then I was gonna say one A St. Mel is you know very likely. I think Leo and is there too. Christ the King's pretty good. But Patrick hits that up in his second part of the question. He says, "Do you think a Chicago private school could make a run to Peoria in all four? And you know that's something I was thinking about too, man. The Catholic League needs a run to state, you know? Yeah, I talked uh, – when I did my conference preview or my conference rankings oh, a week ago or in, in online, I, I ranked the top 10 or 12 conferences. And the Catholic League, what was interesting is the, after the two superpower conferences in this public league, I had the Catholic League ranked number three, that the upper division of the Catholic League, which I still think is because of the depth – but my, I remember posing the question in that piece, is there a legitimate title contender or a threat to reach Peoria? On paper, I still believe and think Fenwick is the best team despite scuffling in the first month of the season a bit for themselves. But you look at Fenwick's road to get, now they're 4A, they're not 3A any longer, so they're 4A and their road to get to Peoria is just a, gauntlet i mean it's it would be really a big task to get through their sectional and then beat likely Simeon in the super sectional to get to peoria so you take them out of the equation uh it gets a little dicey saint vider they're 4a now right yeah so you know if vider's in 3a then i i that's a different story but so i i don't know if there is a road for a catholic league team to be playing in peoria I, I think two of them have a good shot. I think Providence, Saint, I mean, not in 4A. Uh, St. Mel has a great chance in 1A. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yes. Yeah, uh, Leo has a great chance in 2A. And DePaul Prep, I think, might be the favorite in 3A. 
Um, yeah. They, um, I can't remember their road, What? who they, do they avoid, um, oh yeah, that's super sectional. So yeah, DePaul Prep is very, very capable. Yeah, so it should, it could be a good year for the Catholic League in Peoria, which, I mean, I think would be nice. You know, they, they, it would give, I think, a boost to the whole league, you know, to have a team, especially in 3A get there i think it's much no question, but they also need one of these bigger schools in 4a to kind of you know fenwick did it last year in 3a got to mean in st joe's obviously but now they're all bumped to 4a i mean all the quote-unquote catholic league powers mm-hmm. and i right now i just don't see any of those 4a schools with the exception of if fenwick just really kind of turns a corner and um, yeah, it's just that road they have is going to be ultra difficult. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, that'll take the uh, we'll do it for the questions. Next up, we're going to do our two takes. You want to start it out, Joe? Yeah, uh, my first take. There, there's I've got a couple of different ones. They're, they're not team related, player related. Uh, it's just kind of topic basketball topic related, and there's been a pretty regular assault on basketball at all levels over the past decade. And by that, I mean an assault on the basics of basketball, the skills of basketball, or specifically the deterioration of basketball skills. And what we mean here are just the basic fundamentals that, you know, dribbling, passing, shooting basketball. Uh, The skill of basketball player, Mike, today is now an oddity. (laughs) And I think you and I talked about it recently. You know, I've seen it. We've all seen it. But I have to say that through the first month of this season, of this high school basketball season in Illinois, it's a little more glaring to me. It's a little more alarming than than even in recent years. And yes, I know the teams we're watching and covering this year aren't at the level we've kind of grown accustomed to over the years in this state. Thus, there are obviously going to be fewer higher level players. But that's not even what I'm talking about. I, you don't necessarily have to be a star or a Division One prospect to be fundamentally sound but the shooting passing and dribbling i've seen up to this point has been dreadful across the board and and kind of my take uh, that's kind of my lead into my take uh, but (laughs) the culture that we have today in youth basketball i find this interesting to me is the amount of time and money spent today on individual training individual workouts of our youth basketball players, especially in comparison to 20 or 30 years ago in the sport where it was somewhat non-existent. There are, there are shot doctors. Now there's ball handling wizards. There's um, just overall basketball training gurus everywhere now. And it's becoming a huge business. Shouldn't we be more skilled? I mean, kids are playing more than ever before because of AAU. This is a 12 month sport now yet. Here we are all seeing the same thing. And I talk about it with college coaches, uh, you know, weekly basis when it comes to basic basketball skills. They just aren't there. This, um, I'm going to have to switch the order of my takes because this uh, dovetails nicely into my take. Um, I don't, you know, you don't want to complain too much. You know, we've the last two years, I feel like we've, Joe and I have done a lot of whining because things have not been real good, you know, talent wise, but. Forget talent-wise. The amount of turnovers that I was forced to watch last week in the games I covered, 
I mean, it's a good thing. Rarely do I say this, but it's a good thing I was paid to watch these games last year because otherwise I'd have gotten up and walked out. And I'm talking about some of the best teams in the area. Some of the big high-profile games. Yeah, the Harlan-Hyde Park game was a mess. There were tons of turnovers, but I expected that going in. There's a lot of freshmen. Those teams have, you know, new coaches and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm talking about some of the best teams in the area. You know, watching the Romeoville-Bolingbrook game, got people asking me what these teams' chances are at state. I mean, I don't know how they're going to win a regional if they don't stop throwing the ball around. I mean, Romeoville had 26 turnovers. Bolingbrook really settled down in the second half, and that's why they won the game. And they only, but they still finished with 21. I mean, these are teams that have guards that want to play Division One basketball, and they literally can't hold on to the ball. There's charge calls that are just ridiculous attacks at the bat. I mean, it's just. Out of control mess. Naperville North Evanston was the same way. Evanston had 25 turnovers. They took some shots you wouldn't even believe. Uh, Naperville North with 18 turnovers. Niles North, right? Yeah, sorry, Niles North, yeah. They they at least, Niles North also calmed down in the second half. I think they only had six, and that's why they won the game. In both of those high-profile games, the teams that won didn't win because the players were better. They didn't win because of any big coaching decision. They didn't even win, if you look, because they started shooting better. They literally won because they just stopped turning the ball over constantly. And I have no faith in any of those teams at this point to do much in March unless they figure that out. Because you're just not going to see a team winning a sectional that's turning the ball over 20-plus times a game. You know, that doesn't happen. You're going to run into a smarter team that's going to totally, you know, shut you down. And... You know, I don't know, like, back to Joe's point, I don't know what it is. I mean, you know, and there's all this, everybody thinks the public league is wild. Well, I watched Lou Adams pull his whole starters about three minutes into the game because he wasn't happy with what was going on. You know, I've seen plenty of Simeon and Morgan Park. They're not playing this wild and turning the ball over crazy. You know, I don't know if some co- if coaches are, you know, afraid at this point to sit kids because of all the transferring and, you know, the AAU hype, but... A lot of I've spent a lot of last week just shaking my head, wondering, you know, what was going on, why a kid is still in the game after what he did. I mean, it's it was a really ugly week, and the counterpoint is Hinsdale South Conant was really nice. I saw none of that. It was a well played game. Both teams took care of the ball, and I'm hoping that this was just a bad week. But I don't know. Yeah, the, my second take is uh, completely off topic of. Again, players or teams. I I may I regularly uh, make picks on high school basketball games in the Chicago area. You can read them most weeks in my weekend forecasts online that I do on sometimes website. And I do it heavily in March. I go crazy and I pick I think every regional champion, every sectional champion, whatever. I do this against my better judgment, particularly in trying to forecast the fortunes of high school basketball teams dependent on sixteen. 17, 16, and 15-year-old kids playing a game. But, I mean, it's difficult enough to pick NFL games on a Sunday or, or um, NCAA tournament games in March. But but everyone listen up. I Because I don't, I don't pick your team to win. If I, because if I don't pick your team to win on a certain Friday night, it doesn't mean I think you suck. Uh <laughs> Now remember, there are always two teams playing, and when you make a pick, you have to pick just one team. And also remember, the games I choose to preview and pick always involve generally the best teams. 
there, there will always be one team that is going to be picked to lose because inevitably every week the cries come in. I know Mike deals with it with the, the rankings, but uh, the cries come in, the lack of respect for this team. No one believes in this team. No one believes in us. He's never liked us. Or that's fine. We love showing people up or all you're doing is motivating us. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to help. But when I pick your team to lose 63 to 60 to another ranked team and your team defies those monster odds and you win 60 to 62, that doesn't mean I don't have any respect for you. It doesn't mean I doubt you. It doesn't mean I don't think you're any good. So I, I enjoy doing the picks for the fun of it and to create discussion and livelihood. And it's good to debate. And I'm happy to be wrong, uh, which I am a lot of times. But it's just more so this year. I mean, in two weeks of doing the weekend forecast of predicting games, it's been like uh, a death march if, I, if I'm wrong. So anyway, that's my, that's my point. You, you can't win, Joe. I had, this morning I had someone tell me that they're – I think he was joking, but that his team lost because Joe picked him to win. <laughs> and, and put the hex on him. <laughs> so, yeah, I, so there you uh, go. It just well, you know, and, yeah, and, and uh, I was, and I said it in my weekend forecast last week for particularly, and, and I haven't. I'm not picking on friend or Conant fans at all. Um, I don't know, didn't even hear from them. I did last year, but I've picked, I've picked every friend Conant game wrong for three years, every single. <laughs> Yeah. Now they've all been tight, and I've, yeah. I've gone one way, and then this year I went. I, I, I finally picked Fremd, and then Conan beat. So anyway, it, it's the, the the point. Is, the point is, I don't have an agenda. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, you don't. I don't have a lack of respect for your program and your team and your players. All right, my second take is all Ryan Davis. I saw Ryan Davis of Conan last night. I mean, this is a kid that I've seen play probably a dozen times over the past couple of years. And you know, he's been around. He's Conan's been good. I've seen plenty of those Conan friend games that Joe's been picking wrong. Um, so I did not expect to be surprised by what I saw uh, last night in the Hinsdale South Conan game. I was really surprised. Ryan Davis, he's taken that senior pill. He has turned the corner. He is a completely different player than the guy I saw last year. I have officially added Ryan Davis to my player of the year tracking system, which might shock some people. But uh, at this point, he is averaging 26 points and 14 rebounds against a very good early season schedule. I mean, just to hit some of the... I mean, he opened. I guess we should have realized this literally the first day of the season when he scored 38 points and had 21 rebounds against Highland Park. He scored 31 against Viator, 29 and 16 against Deerfield. I mean, 24 and 16 against Libertyville. This kid is playing, I guess, kind of my best comparison. He's reminding me of like a a, a smaller, but more mobile senior year, Jack Cooley. I mean, he's looking that good, that automatic down low. I mean, total steal for Vermont, no doubt. But I, I was just deal. really, really, really impressed with Ryan Davis. Yeah, I, I have never understood his recruitment. And, and one thing I like, um, you and I banter back and forth on players over the years. Is I, I, 
I, I find it refreshing to listen to your first month analysis of high school basketball players, particularly I'm, I'm stuck in these gyms all not stuck, but I'm, I choose. And <laughs> anyway, but I, I, the AAU world, you know, Mike will hit an event here or there in the summer and, and, um, you know, RB shootout, whatever, but, and leave as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you know, my growth that I see in the players is very, usually subtle because you go from the high school season, their junior year to that, that little spring, you know, jaunt through the evaluation period. And then a little bit of June with the high school teams and then massive eyes on you in July during the evaluation period. And then, you know, all this is progressing and taking place. And then it's interesting to hear like your take right now on Ryan Davis, because you could see that coming. Uh, he was banged up a little bit in, in the summer at certain points that I thought kind of maybe prevented him from doing some things in front of coaches uh, at, at certain points in time. But I loved Ryan Davis as a prospect a year ago right now. I absolutely loved him. He, you know, that was Jimmy Soto's team last year, and he he put up numbers last year. I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, just kind of came out of nowhere. But you are right. He, that steady growth, big men develop. He took really basketball seriously for the first time in the last year and a half. So, I, I think that with his skill level, because he can step out, knock a shot down. Uh, he's got terrific hands for a big. And it is, it, it, I thought it was a steal for Vermont. But now we're talking, as we see this progression now, holy cow, this is, now we're talking maybe one of the, a, a monster steal uh, for Vermont basketball, which is a very good basketball program. But yeah, Ryan Davis is, is a heck of a player. I wouldn't have known, you know, if I didn't see his face in the team, I wouldn't have known it was the same guy I saw last year. It was that big. And, you know, credit to Conan. I mentioned this in the notebook last night, but they did a really good job of feeding him too. And, you know, I've, you, that's always an issue in high school basketball, especially. So Conan really deserves a lot of the, the team deserves a lot of the credit for the way Ryan Davis is able to play because he's seeing the ball, which is nice to see Elgin need, or sorry, Larkin, should watch some Conan <laughs> tape and alert well, a little bit and, about and, that. And and playing under a first year coach, getting to know everything new, uh, it was going to take time, and that's why I think I, I think you wrote about a little bit about Conan. You know, I, they got off to like a two and three start, playing a good schedule, but that start, you know, they beat Evanston, uh, they they beat a good Highland Park team, they've they've come back now and beaten Fremd, so you know. Th- it's a team that, you know, Jim Milley is the head coach now after, I don't know, 30 years of Tom McCormick. So it was going to, it's not going to be overnight. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of how they progress with a go to guy like that to build towards the march with. And, you know, you know how far a, a, an individual player can take you when it comes time to play basketball in March. Oh, yeah. Um, also, you know, Joe, I, I, we've never done this, but I think we must because I did research. I missed a question because it was not in my email. It was on text. It's uh, actually from Marquise Brown's dad, uh, from Kizo Brown's dad. Marquise, his name is Marquise Brown. Um, he wanted to start some trouble and uh, have us do our player of the year rankings. And so I, I crunched the numbers. So here you go. 
everybody. I think a lot of people actually care about this, so we should hit it. Io Dosumu from Oregon Park, preseason favorite. He's averaging 26 points per game. By the way, these are all my numbers that I've compiled. Nothing is team supplied. Uh, Talon Horton Tucker is averaging 21.3 and about nine rebounds, probably a little less now um, after last night. Jalen Shaw from Larkin is averaging 18 points and 15 rebounds. Javon Freeman of Young is up to 23 points per game. He's 31 uh, against a DeSoto, Texas team. Drew Peterson, 26 points per game. We just talked about Ryan Davis, 26 points, 14 rebounds. And then Messiah Jones, I think we've got to have him in there with what he's doing with Simeon. He's averaging 18.3 and 10 rebounds a game. So he's right there on uh, breathing down Taylor Horton Tucker's neck. So I guess if you were to do a top three now, Joe, I'll do it too. We'll put each other on the spot. Uh, one of the things I, I always, I'm kind of like the Heisman vote where I, I kind of, be, I mean, I, I just think it's, unless you just have a ridiculous nutty season, you got to have a lot of team success. So that's got to play out still, but I can't deny what Young and Simeon have done in the opening month of the season. Uh, Simeon is six and zero with some nice wins. Young is 10 and one. Uh, Io Dosumu was the prohibitive favorite going into the season. Now what I'm getting to right now is now I think it's a three player race in my top three where I had Io Dosumu number one, clearly number one. Now I have Talon Horton Tucker right there with Io Dosumu. one A, one B. And then right there next would be Javon Freeman. Yeah, I'm – I feel bad. I put you on the spot, and I don't have – I feel like I don't have a number one. I mean, it, the, these guys you're mentioning are just in the conversation, like the Ryan Davis. I, I, yeah, I mean, he's putting up monster numbers, and, and you know, they're – what are they, five and six and four? You know, I – it's just really hard to, like I said, you got to have a monster season. Um, and, and usually if somebody's having like a 30-point-per-game season or whatever it might be, that type of monster, their, their team is usually in high school, pretty darn good. Uh, I just think it's going to be hard to, for any of these, the second tier of player of the year canners, it's like the Drew Petersons of the world and to, to, to forge ahead of the, the guys I just mentioned. Yeah, Peterson and Davis, you know, they're, they're teams that are just over 500, so that's tough. You know, Jalen Shaw at Larkin is going to have a really nice record probably. He's got a real big opportunity at Proviso to um, kind of get his name out there. The team does too. I mean, I think if things go well, go really well for Larkin at Proviso, you know, that we could seriously be talking about him, I think, you know, couple podcasts from now i guess right now but see i'm having problems with the tht messiah jones thing i mean i just feel like nobody's really given me that game that performance where i was like whoa this guy is the leader so I'll, yeah i guess i'll kind of mimic well in defense of those two i mean they have six games on their belt so they exactly got tw- yeah. 20 left so yeah that's a good point yeah um so the Simeon and morgan park guys tht messiah and io have a lot of ball to play. I guess Freeman did have a pretty great game um, that we saw at the, uh, the thing at Navy Pier. They're all right about there for me. If, if I had to vote now, I'd probably go for Talon Horton Tucker because Simeon's unbeaten. They 
beat Morgan Park pretty good at Morgan Park. So I guess he's got to be number the, one. The, the biggest takeaway from this would be to me is that and you might disagree. I, I, I would assume to me was a clear cut, heavy favorite going into the season. And I just, I just think this early juncture and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's interesting, intriguing to talk about it, but it's not, you know, it's December. Yeah. It's anything's far from definitive. I mean, (laughs) we we, we, we get holiday tournament time has proven to be kind of a opportunity for some of these player of the year candidates to kind of, you know, on a big stage and, and everybody talking to get some stuff done, uh, to build that resume. And, and that's kind of where I I don't heavily start thinking about the award or, or or my vote for player of the year or any, any of that till post holiday tournaments, because, you know, a lot can happen during that, that four or five day stretch and right after Christmas. Yeah. And I would say to me, the most interesting thing that's happened so far isn't so much the IO stuff, but it's the what's going on at Simeon. I mean, Messiah Jones is out rebounding Taylor Horton Tucker, not a surprise there, but he's only about a point and a half behind him. And we know how well he played at Pontiac last year. I think that's worth keeping an eye on because how are you, I mean, it's going to be tough for Taylor if you're not leading your, if somebody else is leading your team in points and rebounds, you know, that's a rough, it might've happened though. I think Derek Rose, it might've happened. Uh, Tim yeah. Flowers might have led Simeon in points and rebounds the year Derrick Rose's player of the year, but he was point guard at least. But anyway, uh, we thought we should hit that because there's always a lot of talk about that. Um, so what do we uh, – oh, the – Hitting the, the uh, young guys. Yeah, the young guys. <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> All right, I'm going to kind of – I'm going to rip through a list here. I'm going to start out with the freshmen. Um, Joe, you can kind of jump in, I guess. Uh, I've seen – I just kind of wrote a list of all the freshmen I've seen play. Um, so this is this is not the list of the top freshmen in the area. This is the guys that, because of the you know quirks of the schedule and where I've wound up, this is who I've seen. Um, Ahmad Bynum from Simeon, who played, I believe, in the I know he played in the Elite Classic, but he did not play in the Battle of Vincennes. Didn't even get in. I'm not sure. You know, they've been on the road since. What his playing time has been like since. Jalen Gibson from Evanston, Blake Peters from Evanston. Holy moly. Uh, I know you've seen, probably seen him talked about a bit on Twitter as Russell Peters. That's because that's what his name, that's his name on the roster. Um, I don't know if that's his real name and Blake is his, who knows. But Blake Peters, holy moly, uh, very interesting player. Had 16-9 and nine against Niles North, led the team. Stylish, confident kid. Jalen Butler from Niles North, who kind of passes the look test. Um, I saw LaShawn Glover at Harlan score 10 points. He was promising. Bryce Hopkins, bigger kid at Fenwick. Uh, we don't know how to pronounce his name. Kalio, Kalilio Terry, who Joe and I had a whole segment on the podcast uh, <laughs> earlier. Uh, Kamari Wilson from Carmel, who's a really intriguing guard. Not the kind of guy you're going to expect on, the, on a Carmel team. It looks like he'd fit right in you know, on the Red West. Um, Darian Jones from Bogan, who I believe I spoke about, he was a real shocker to me, just how good he was. He was a major factor in that Bogan Morgan Park game. Um, Trey Spires of Clemente, somebody I know a lot of you probably haven't heard about. A lot of people haven't seen play. He's extremely capable. He's got a, a nice body. He's got some size to him. He's not just on Clemente's varsity for the future. He's like ready to go now. He could play it at, at, on a lot of teams. I was impressed with him. Uh, Marquise Irving, uh, strong guard at Morgan Park, has gotten some good playing time. Boopy Miller at Morgan Park, a lot of you know about. Kenton Wright at Hillcrest, he's gotten a, a ton of minutes 
for them. Um, so those are the guys I saw that kind of popped out to me. I would say best of the bunch early. Obviously, it was the Cleo Terry from Champaign Central. And then Darian Jones at Bogan, Blake Peters, and Trey Spires, the Clemente kid, all right there. Yeah, the you know the one kid you haven't talked about, I know you haven't seen, uh, Chris Hodges at Schaumburg, yeah. who Chris Hodges and um, Ahmad Bynum are probably the two best-looking players, prospects as freshmen. And Bynum at Simeon, they're loaded his opportunity probably won't come as much as he would, obviously if he was playing somewhere else, but the, the Blake Walt, the Blake Peters thing uh, to me is this kid is heady. He is wise beyond his years and calm and cool for a freshman. Uh, I wrote something. I did a little piece on him in my three pointer uh, last week in my column and I mean, he's shooting 50%, nearly 50% from three. That's a freshman shooting 50% from three. You know, and Evanston has a host of freshmen in that freshman class. Jalen Gibson, Elijah Bull, Isaiah Holden. Uh, I, I watched the Notre Dame-Carmel game yesterday uh, on videotape, whatever you want to call it. And Anthony Sales was, was, was really good. He's a freshman at Notre Dame, a guard. Uh, Kamari Wilson played well, too. He, he, he was... That was a fun matchup. It was a fun game to watch, by the way. I just I don't usually enjoy watching games on video or on the computer or whatever. And that one was it was awesome. I had a I had a text uh, coach Kevin Clancy at Notre Dame, the first year coach, of what a great environment and atmosphere. There's there's students. I guess it was our first home game, Mike, that they've played this year. I think mm-hmm. uh, here in mid December already, and, and or we hadn't played a home game, but. Um, but yeah, you, Khalil Terry, too, jumped out at me as, as a freshman. And then the kid from Zion Benton, I can't remember if you mentioned him. Um, I didn't because I haven't seen uh, him, but he was in the uh, notebook. Yeah. yeah, Amar Aguilar, who when I was doing my preseason talks with coaches, they were, like, raving about him. Um, another freshman to keep an eye, Chris Reedy at HF. He's there, He was starting earlier when RJ Ogham, the, the sophomore, was out, but – He's a six-five freshman. He's now their sixth man. Early on, he was averaging. Coach Candati said he was Mark Candati said he was averaging like I think nine or ten rebounds right away. Uh, he's a six-five freshman who's going to be good, and he's their sixth man now at HF. Yeah, I'm really interested in the the Zion Benton freshman. You know, I, I kind of they were two and four at, at one point this year. They had a great week. They beat Stevenson. They beat North Chicago last night in overtime. Aguilar has been playing well. And now kind of when you go back and look at their schedule, it doesn't look as bad as you thought. You know, that Naperville Central loss doesn't seem to be a huge shame in that second game of the year. Uh, Buffalo Grove isn't bad. Mundelein is much better than we thought. Um, they lost to Lake Zurich, and, you know, never any shame in that. And even their wins are looking a little better. The few they had early, the Glenbrook South, you know, has kind of turned it around a little bit under Phil Ralston, it looks like. And it's understandable if you're depending on a freshman for that much scoring that might take yeah, they a lost. A, they lost a ton last year, Zion Benton. So it was going to take some time. Yeah, they but yeah, they won. They won two in a row now with Stevenson, North Chicago, and um, they play so, Evanston yeah. on Tuesday. A lot of yeah, freshmen on the court in that one. They, yeah, and they haven't been blown out. I mean, they lost Lake Zurich by six, Mundelein by eleven. I mean, they've been in, in these games. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, maybe I'll uh, might be checking him out on Tuesday because it's a weak Tuesday schedule. Um, but so- the freshmen have been. 
I think a pleasant surprise, yeah. more impact for a first month of their high school careers than anticipated. And we were, I think you and I were talking about it earlier, the sophomore class mm-hmm. who I really believe was going to be better than some of the classes we've had is not at this point. And again, they're young. There's going to be peaks and valleys up and down and consistency, but they have not done what I've, I hoped that they would be doing the sophomore class uh, in the first half or the first month of the season. Yeah, the established guys, like you said, have not have disappointed a bit. Some names I didn't know: um, Aquan Smart, um, who I hadn't really seen at Niles North, has been really good in both games. I've watched him. Isaiah Burrell at Kenwood has been really good in both games. R.J. Ogum was great um, for Home and Flossmore in the game I saw there. Those were guys I was not aware of. Um, I guess the big story right now with the sophomores is r- really slow starts for Adam Miller at Morgan Park, which I think is part of their struggles. They needed him to be a star from the get-go to kind of live up to their preseason hype, especially with the rough schedule they've had. And he's had some good games, but then especially in the, the CPS games, the high-level CPS games, he's just been kind of a beat or two behind. And then Reggie Strong at Farragut. You know, I keep pinning Farragut's struggles on – you know, not having the, the Forrest the rebounder, but uh, Reggie Strong has not lived up to kind of the hype yet that Joe and I were. I was hyping him a lot last year. Joe got heavily on board, I think, this spring and summer, and he's had some, you know, young player struggles too. So those two to keep an eye on. DJ Stewart, on the other hand, has done what everybody expected um, early. Yeah, I mean, I DJ Stewart's been who he is. Uh, another kind of a storyline with the sophomore group is the lack of games that some of them have played. Tyler Beard at Whitney Young, yeah, uh, Splunge at Orr after the transfer for over from Clark. Uh, these are two consensus top ten guys in the class. Elliot Seeger transferred to Young. He just became you know okay to play. He's played now three games for Young now. Uh, Siri Lewis uh, at Kenwood transferred over. So a lot of these guys have not really played. Um, so so it, it, it's a group that, you know, there's a lot of size in this class, which is good to see, but it also means usually those, those big kids. And I, I mean, from Martise Mitchell at Bloom to Chris Conaway at Neighborville Central to Aaron Timms at Hinsdale South and – uh, Nate Saputis at, at Linkway East. These guys are with size that it's just, you got to wait on them. I mean, it's just going to take a while. Uh, you know, a sophomore who I think we haven't talked a lot about because our team has, you know, they're, they're dangerous because they're young is Keyshawn Williams at Bloom. I really, really like Keyshawn Williams at Bloom. He's a kind of a combo guard, can score, get to the rim, but they are full of sophomores on that Bloom team, so it's going to take a while for them. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard. Um, oh, you, you know what? This isn't true. I was just going to say, I, I thought they were missing one of the sophomores, but now I'm going back through my emails. It looks like Martise Mitchell has played. He had 8 and 11. And people who are into that. prospects that really follow it, uh, there's a couple. I'll Obviously, they're not in the Chicago. Well, they are in Sh- Brandon Weston is a 6'4 wing at Lake Forest Academy. A uh, really talented player. And Lamonte Doherty down at DeCoin, down in the southern part of Illinois, uh, he's a top three, top four player in that sophomore class. Yeah, um, Lance Mosley is playing pretty well at DePaul. 
guy we might want to mention. And Nate Saputis, the Lincoln Way East kid. You know, I saw that Lincoln Way East horror show, so it's hard to even uh, really um, judge any of them. But, yeah, I think that the Beard Seeger thing is going to be big for Young. You know, we saw what both of those guys did last year. It's kind of scary with as well as Young has been playing to think about adding those two to the team, especially Beard, because he can hit, he can really leap and hit the boards, and that's kind of been their – that's their Young's real weakness. So a player like him that can, A, fit with their style, you know, he runs up and down the court, but also can rebound, That I think that's just going to be a massive add um, for Whitney Young. Right. All right, uh, let's get a quick look at the week ahead here, which is not anything to write home about. Um, let's see, we've got uh, Tuesday – the Zion Benton Evanston game I talked about, and really all I, there's like a Grays Lake North Glenbrook North game if you're really desperate um, for some hoops. <laughs> That's the only thing I've even big big sell there. <laughs> Sorry everybody, um, I had my eyes on Grays Lake North and they've been losing, so I'm a little disappointed in them. I was going to go to that game, but now I'm probably not going to. Um, Wednesday we've got a Curie Creek Moni, which is kind of a strange one, interesting. Um, Lake Forest and Bennett. <clears throat> Probably won't be many turnovers in that game if you want to uh, get some clean ball. Uh, Lincoln Park and Lane, which should be fun. That's at Lane. Um, good opportunity to see that new court. They've got a nice thing kind of – we haven't really talked about it much, but a lot of nice things bubbling at Lane. They do a lot of cool things on Twitter. They're really trying to make that basketball program fun and get everybody involved. That should be a good game. Um, and then Rich East Marist is uh, an interesting game in that kind of opening season tournament thing Maris does. On Thursday, we've got Romeoville and Joliet West. You going on that one? Boy, I'm wor- my guys did. We have a, we had a rebound win, um, but I'm worried about Joliet West. Um, I'm not going to that one. Um, Simeon starts at the City of Palms, so you can catch some of that online. Friday isn't as bad as I expected it to be um, with the holidays coming up. But Brother Rice Loyola... Saint Ignatius, yeah, it should be good. Uh, If you want to see a thirty-point game, (laughs) that'll be the place to be. (laughs) Loyola just—they didn't win. Who did they play this week? Um, Saint Rita. Yeah, thirty-three thirty. Exactly. They won the battle, but lost the war. Um, Saint Ignatius de Paul, Young and Lincoln Park, Saint Charles North Batavia. That should be a good one in the Batavia gym too. So that that's Friday night. Yeah. Um, Monday. I think this is Monday. My own handwriting's letting me down. I have M something Waukegan. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know who that is. Uh, St. Rita, St. Lawrence, uh, which should be a good one. And then West Aurora, St. Charles East. West Aurora making their tour of all the St. Charles uh, schools. So, yeah, it's not a bad Friday. I'm going to be out of town, actually, so um, nothing for me that week. But, yeah, slow week. Monday's good. I might put this up a little earlier. There's a St. Lawrence, Lawrence Marist game on Monday to check out, which is better than we usually get on Mondays. But, anyway, that's a look at the week ahead. We are going to have a holiday preview, holiday tournament preview episode. It'll be up, I think, a little sooner than normal. So be on the lookout for that. I'll be on Twitter and let everybody know. But uh, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.